Welcome back, everybody, to the DCL Duo podcast. And tonight we are really excited to have Michelle McKnight be joining us on the podcast. Michelle is the rope drop queen of Rope Drop Radio, and she is also, in full disclosure, our personal travel agent and uh, just a wealth of knowledge and very helpful. So we're really excited to have Michelle on. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Michelle, we, we like to start with folks' Disney background. So can you tell people a little bit about your, you know, background with Disney, things you've done, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up going to Disney every summer. My parents had a timeshare off property um, and we'd go every summer for about two weeks. We'd be in Orlando. So we'd never really missed a summer until I got to college. And then I met my husband and he was also a Disney fanatic. He just continued my love for Disney. And then we had kids. I was planning all of my friends trips for free already. So I thought, hey, it's time to get paid for that. So I applied (laughs) to be a travel agent and I am now I'm affiliated with MEI Travel and Mouthscan Travel. So I'm a fee-free agent. I, I book all things Disney, but I also book travel all over the world. So other cruise lines, other tours, like in Europe, Australia, things like that. But Disney will always have my heart. Do you also do bookings for like Alani or Adventures by Disney? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, all things Disney. Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, Alani, Disneyland, and Adventures by Disney as well. Yes. We wanted to have you on to talk about Disney Cruise Line. What's your experience been with Disney Cruise Line? How many sailings have you been on? Uh, We've been on 10. So we just finished up our 10th in January on the Dream. I mean, I love Disney Cruise Line. I, we had one booked for July and that is now canceled, unfortunately, by Disney, but we booked again for next summer and I'm excited to go on our 11th at that time. Nice. You'll be platinum. Yes. That's what I, we were hurrying to platinum, hurrying to platinum, and now we have to wait a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know exactly how you feel because we have had now a bunch of different vacations canceled. And as yeah. you know, we've had a bunch rescheduled <laughs> since yes. you've helped us reschedule a bunch of the, our cruises. Yes. Michelle's acutely aware of our, of our, of our vacation planning problems. <laughs> so the, the, the 11th Disney cruise cruise when you're platinum, uh, do you go for the Caribbean cruise so you get the stop in Castaway Key and can get the cabana or are you guys going someplace else? Uh, we are sailing to Castaway. Yes, that's the goal. However, we did check in for this last cruise back in March. Um, we were not able to get a cabana because all the concierge people had had stolen them up already. So unfortunately, it usually takes a smaller ship to get a cabana, but we will always keep looking because we were able to do it once as we were gold. And that was amazing. Yeah, we were pretty spoiled. Our first cruise on Disney, a friend of ours was platinum and managed to get a cabana. And ever since then, it's been like, can't get one of these things. (laughs) And and we also got a Serenity Bay cabana because we were traveling without our son. So that was, I feel like we were like the ultimate spoiled in that, in that scenario. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michelle, in which ships have you been on on Disney Cruise Line? So I've been on all four. We've done two on Fantasy, four on The Dream, three on The Magic, and one on The Wonder. What kinds of itineraries have you done? We've done a lot. So we we did Europe last summer. We did Alaska a couple summers ago. We did Bermuda a couple years ago. And then we've got lots of Caribbean and Bahamian uh, cruises as well. I think my favorite is still Bermuda. I loved the island. It was just clean. I'm a kind of a clean freak. So Bermuda, just the whole island and the feel. And I loved the beach there. Beautiful, beautiful beach. So that's my probably my favorite. Have you done any adults only cruising or is it, are you taking the kids with you most of the time? We've done one adult only for Disney Cruise Line. We've done, I've done six others, adult only, but non-Disney ones. But our very first cruise Doug and I went on was we just did adults because we didn't know he has motion sickness. And so we weren't sure how he'd do with the kids. So we Mm. decided we'd try it. We celebrated our 10th anniversary on board and that kind of started our love for cruising. What are the other cruise lines that you, that you guys have cruised on? Doug and I have cruised on Celebrity. With my agency, I've done Celebrity, 
Norwegian and also Royal Caribbean. Oh, so you have lots of comparators. That's really nice. Yeah. As you're choosing your itineraries for your family or helping clients choose itineraries, like what are some of the things that you think through for yourself, for your clients? Yeah, it kind of, you know, it's going to depend on every different client. So first of all, kind of figure out what dates are even available. Some people are very limited in their dates. Um, and so they may only be able to do Caribbean or they may only be able to go to the Bahamas. Overall, the length too is an important thing. Have they cruised before? Do they feel like they may have a problem cruising? You know, I always kind of suggest the three or four night just to kind of get your your sea legs under you and then maybe go to a, a seven or a nine night if you have any kind of thoughts on maybe getting sick or feeling claustrophobic or something like that. Cost also kind of drives people one way or the other. Lots of people like the unique itineraries though. Those seem to fill up the fastest with Disney Cruise Line because they'll usually do like one one special one and then, you know, five of another kind. So it seems like people really want to be on that different one to say they've done some different things. Yeah. For first time cruisers, do you see people booking mostly the the land and sea sort of combination or are people really starting with their first cruise? Are they just doing, you know, a three or four night and no, and no parks? Yeah. For me, it is that land and sea thing. Usually it's two or three nights on land and then a three or a four night dream cruise is usually the the go-to for most people. And I think that's kind of because the dream is predictable usually throughout the year. It's usually the three nights start on Friday. You know, the four nights usually start on Monday. There are some variations, but usually that's the overall feel. So it's just easy to predict when people are booking. I feel like it's hard to, our first cruise was a seven night cruise. And now when we go on a three or a four or even a five night, we sometimes feel like this just feels so short. So (laughs) (laughs) we're just spoiled. Yeah. I think it's easier to work your way up than back down sometimes. <laughs> yes. What are some of the more interesting, unique itineraries you've seen over the years, Michelle, that, that folks really like? You know, the Hawaii one, the Hawaii cruises, they're very unique. They don't do them every year even. So those have been really a hot cruise to book. The new Greek island that didn't actually happen this summer, unfortunately. What else? Some of the Nine Night Alaskans. Oh, yeah. They only do like one or two of those, right? Yeah. And maybe the the ones from New Orleans have been hot too. Um, and they are going back there again for a second season in 2021. Yeah. We're, we're going to be out of New Orleans for one of our cruises next year in yeah, February. February right? Yeah. Yeah. We're excited about that. I also saw they did some unique cruises up through Canada. It was last year, the year before, after the, was it the magic made its way back across the Atlantic? They kind of cruised up to Canada, which was, which was interesting. They did it once and that was, <laughs> that was it. Um, I think the double dips too, are the double dips pretty popular to cast Key. They are. Yeah. And they took them out. There isn't very many of them for 2021. So I've got a lot of sad clients for summer 2021. But those are really excited, you know, really get people excited. I know my kids really want to go on. We just can't seem to fit one into our schedule, unfortunately. I wonder why they took those out. I mean, I wonder why they sort of cut down the numbers of them because they are so popular. And they're usually those, what, four or five night ones, I feel like, they, where they just visit Nassau and Castaway Key twice um, or, or just visit Castaway Key key twice, I would go on one of them. I mean, that's the only, I feel like for a short cruise, that's the one I could convince myself to go on if it was a double dip castaway. Yeah, me too. I could skip NASA every time or, or <laughs> yeah. day at sea is what we do. But yeah, castaway, the two, the double dips are just so popular. I'm not sure why they took them out for 2021, but they, everybody seemed to be very disappointed. What's funny too, when you mentioned NASA, when you when you said that you love Bermuda for its cleanliness, I immediately thought you're probably not stepping off the ship in NASA. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny though, because I feel like there are people, I don't want to, we don't no, shouldn't no, poo-poo no, NASA no. too much because there are some people who really love NASA and every time they go, they go to either the Blue Lagoon or they go to sure. um, 
What's the really big place? Atlanta. That love? Yeah, Atlanta. Yes. So I feel like yeah. there are some people who really love Nassau and always venture out to lesser known spots or they go to Blue Lagoon or Atlantis. And so it's funny that we have a strong feelings about Nassau. No, no, no. And- but I, I love Nassau because everyone else gets off the ship and I get it to myself. So. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. We usually we usually get off for just, you know, a couple of pictures maybe of the ship or we go to the straw market with the kids just so they can kind of see some culture. But other than that, it's usually a just a day on board for us. What about uh, the unique days at sea that Disney offers? Are those, are those pretty popular for folks? Do you see folks making the decision to sail Disney to experience those? Yeah. It, you know, they, they are... They're not as popular as I thought they would be. I think people just kind of fall into them and that's what fits in their schedule. I've had a couple of people be swayed by the Marvel Day at Sea. None of my clients really are excited about the Star Wars Day at Sea, even though we've done it, my family. Yeah, I just, I think it enhances the overall cruise, but I don't think many people just because of those. Yeah, I think the Marvel ones are a little bit more popular than for attracting people. And I think that's why they've kept them in the the cruises out of Miami, because I think in general, it's a little bit of a harder sell for particularly for people who are wanting to go to Disney World and pair their vacation with a cruise. It's a harder sell to do a cruise out of Miami because it's just, you know, quite a bit further away. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I'm hoping Richard Branson's bullet train actually gets built. Yeah, because we want, we do actually want to do a Marvel Day at Sea cruise. Yeah. We haven't done, we've done the Star Wars one and we actually had a great time and thought, Star, we're not huge Star Wars fans, but we've become bigger Star Wars fans because of the Mandalorian now. And uh, to be perfectly honest, um, but we did Star Wars Day at Sea, obviously before the Mandalorian ever came out. And we thought it was, it was a fun time. We were not, you know, obsessive about that's it. That's right. Though. If they have a baby Yoda meet and greet, I'm there. Oh, yeah, we're totally there. The chi- we're, we're there. If the child is at a, a meet and greet, if they have some kind of animatronic child, we'll, we'll be there. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, Michelle, you've done overseas cruising, which is something we were going to do for the first time this year. We've never sailed out of a foreign port. Um, does that present some unique challenges for your, your clients? And, and do you see folks sort of maybe sticking more towards the closer to home cruises because it's harder to get overseas? Or are people just really excited about that as a way to sort of travel and see the world? No, I don't think really an obstacle at all. I think, yeah, people like to have something like familiar uh, ship and then, you know, be able to travel. That's why we love the Europe itineraries because we didn't have to worry about changing hotels all the time. We could sail and have a different destination each day. That was amazing. I definitely recommend cruising in Europe. Yeah. I think the other plus about cruising in Europe, particularly with kids, is travel-wise, it is obviously easier. Your kids are staying in the same place every night on the ship so that, you know, less change for the kids. But also the food is, I know food can be an issue with kids, you know, people traveling with kids and with picky eaters. You don't really have to worry about breakfast and dinner if you're on the cruise ship. And, you know, if they just eat like gelato for lunch, eh, you're on vacation. Exactly. We knew we had a meal at night to get get back to. So yes, Absolutely. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about choosing kind of the itinerary you sail on. What about stateroom choices for folks? I mean, I know cost can be a real consideration, but are there sort of things that you steer people towards or or that you find people looking for in their stateroom choices? It's usually cost is usually the only real big factor. Most of my clients want a veranda, hands down. If somebody really wants a veranda, but they just can't get the price, get, you know, hit that price point with Disney because they do get pretty high. Um, I'll, I'll advise them to get like an ocean view, you know, to save a few hundred dollars. I do have the budget minded clients too that, you know, they're like, we're not going to be in the room very much. So an inside room is totally fine. But overall, the veranda, people just like being able to 
have fresh air on their own balcony. What are your experiences personally with the different staterooms? I don't know if you've sailed in kind of most of the different categories or not, but you know, do you have a favorite? Yeah, my personal favorite is actually a family, deluxe family ocean view stateroom. So it's got the huge sit-in porthole on the German fantasy. That's actually my absolute favorite. We usually go aft on the ship so we're closer to the food. But that's <laughs> that's my favorite is I just, I love that porthole. I'm not an outdoorsy person. So the veranda really doesn't matter to me at all. Well, and we're, our favorite's the ocean view too. Although we go forward because we want to get to Cove Cafe in the morning as yeah. fast as possible. But, but, but we tend to go for the one one step. We've done the family deluxe one, um, but there's only three of us. So we've actually done the the one one category smaller than that. And that one work, seems to work for us too. So we, we've done it both that one and the one, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's like the family, but not the family deluxe or something like that. Have you sailed in an inside stateroom, Michelle? I have. Yes, we did. Um, we did two inside. So I have a family of five, so we're kind of limited. Um, but we did two cabins, full inside cabins for Europe last summer on the Magic. And um, it really wasn't that bad. Now, Europe, you're not in your room hardly at all. Um, and so that might be part of it. On a Caribbean sailing, I, I don't know that I could do an inside room. But, but it, it really wasn't that bad. But we did have the extra space. So that may have helped as well. Right, right. Having two rooms versus the the larger one room. Yeah. Which actually touches on something. Do you ever find that sort of cost comparison to be better to do two rooms versus one bigger room? I know that some folks have said, hey, you can sometimes get like a a veranda or an ocean view across the hall from an inside room and save yourself some money. Yeah, so we've we've done a lot of math. My family has on this um, and me too as the travel agent. So if you do two inside rooms on the dream and fantasy, it's usually going to be more than if you book just a five-person room, a deluxe family room. However, on the Wonder and the Magic, if you book two inside rooms, it's usually cheaper than doing one uh, veranda room on the Magic and Fantasy, Magic and Wonder. Wow. What, what about sort of placement in the ship? I know you were mentioning you guys like to go aft, so you're closer to the sort of the food offerings and such. Yeah, I usually steer them towards midship if they're going to do a veranda, because that's what all that's in the middle, really. Um, or even an inside room on deck, too, you could get midship room. But just to help with the the motion of the ship, people like that, the midship. Also, people seem to really like being close to elevators, not like right when it opens, you know, the foyer, but nearby so that they're not walking across the whole ship. And then most of my clients, I seem to put them between six and eight. Those are kind of the the sweet spots. They don't want to go too far for food and they don't want to go too far for like activities on the pool deck either. So they, they enjoy the mid midship, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, we like to be on like seven to nine. We don't want to be on 10 because we don't want to be right under the pool deck. Right. That I just, I've never stayed on 10, but I just can't imagine all those chairs and yeah, I just can't. Yeah. But I think our favorite has been nine kind of consistently. It's well, in the, fa- in the fantasy and the dream. Yeah. Um, the the smaller ship, it's deck seven essentially. Yeah. 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 Isn't that funny though, how people have like a particular, not just a particular deck, but a particular location. And I'm sure, you know, first time cruisers, it's probably a little overwhelming for them to figure out like, where do I want to be? And so it's probably driven more by, you know, cost or being midship, I think is a good point. We like starboard side because on a castaway key sailing, because then you are parked looking at a castaway key. So yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah. People come to me with like this cabin they want. I'm like, but let's go to the opposite side of the ship and you'll have a surprise when you get to castaway. That's what I tell them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then concierge, Michelle, talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about concierge. I mean, it's we've never sailed concierge. I, I don't know if you've ever gotten to 
to experience it, but I'm assuming you've probably been in some of the staterooms as a, just a sort of a tour of them maybe, but what, are, are there any, any considerations you'd give folks sailing concierge? And sometimes I sort of ask the question, like, is it really worth the price? Cause it seems like it's almost double what the regular cruise fare is. And I've never been able to sort of pencil the benefits out to really make sense, but. Yeah, I, we have not stayed concierge. I just can't justify the cost for my, for my family. Um, I have seen the rooms though, and I've had lots of clients sail concierge. Um, I don't see how the, like you said, it's almost double. It is. It's really close to being double the cost. I don't see the overall cost unless you maybe want wine every day and get that in the concierge lounge, you know, or you just really want, want a cabana. That's another reason people do it. Um, but overall, they have like the benefits they can get in the lounge. They have kind of nicer amenities in the stateroom. It's just a, an, a not an upcharge, but a just better bedding and um, mattress, you know, pillows. But overall, Disney Cruise Line has such an amazing service already. It's hard to imagine it could be even better. Yeah. I mean, I also think like the, the access to the lounge is interesting, but I'd rather enjoy the sort of other amenities aboard the ship or the other spaces aboard the ship. So it's hard for me to imagine that to pay to be in that lounge for that length of time. Now, I know we had a guest on Christian, the concierge lounge. He's all over Twitter. He loves kind of only shell concierge. I think he's also sailing in some of the larger suites, which carry their own kind of extra amenities to them. But but yeah, for us, it's always been kind of, you know, interesting, but not really something that seems like we would pencil it out for ourselves. Hey, listen, Brian, if we won the lottery tomorrow, now first we're buying a house in Golden Oaks <laughs> <laughs> and and then we're cruising on we're cruising concierge. So let's be like completely honest about it. If money was not an object. Well, we would be yeah, we would be sure. selling concierge. Sure, we would be we would be doing private tours at Disney. No, I think I've trip. said. <laughs> I think I've said if we win the lottery, I'm calling Disney Cruise Line asking how much it would be to buy a room <laughs> on the Wish and just stay permanently. So yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Tips and tricks for online check-in, Michelle. Anything that you you sort of suggest your clients uh, do in advance of online check-in or things they should be watching for at online check-in, picking their port adventures, you know that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, um, I do have my clients do their own online check-in because I just, it's so much pay, uh, passport information and personal information that I think they should learn to use the system, but I do give them tips. And the first one is just to make it through and try to get a cabana if that's the thing they really want. The second thing is to go ahead and pick port adventures that I think would be hard to get. Atlantis sometimes sells out before first time cruisers get in there. The Europe ones are kind of really hard to get. So those are some of the tips. And then also um, booking character meets, character breakfast. Those usually don't sell out too or book up too early, but still better to get them on the days that you want them. Any kind of wine tasting or Remy or Paulo bookings also is a good thing to do. But I always say go, you know, click all the way through, get through that, and then go back and put in your personal information because uh, some of the things do book up fast. Yeah, that's a good point about the character meet and greets, because even though the character meet and greets don't, well, especially because they don't cost anything, they actually book up pretty quickly. And I think to your point, you can usually get one later on. It's just a matter of you won't be able to get your preferred time or your prefer preferred day for those character meet and greets. And it's sometimes hard if you book them back to back, for example, on the Star Wars Day at Sea ones, if you've got, you know, R2-D2 and C-3PO at 9 a.m. and then you've got Chewbacca at 9.30. If they're in the same area, it's not going to be too bad. But if they're in different parts of the ship, which you don't know ahead of time, it's actually a little bit tough to make sure you make both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and really good point too, Michelle, about the you don't have to fill in all of your check-in information before you select your activities. In fact, that would probably slow you way down. You want to pick your activities, get everything nailed down, then go back in and do your check. In fact, you can wait days after that to do your actual check-in documentation. But yeah, the the real thing to do that uh, at at the whatever hour it is that you need to do the check-in is to to get all of your activities nailed down. And the I think the other thing to call out is even if you don't get what you want, don't worry. That's not your last opportunity. When you get on the ship, they usually hold some things back to to get people in. So yeah, do you give different advice to like first or first time cruisers or for Silverway Castaway Club members versus your gold and platinum? Right, your gold and platinum cruisers are probably going to have an easier time booking their their excursions. For example, what kind of tips do you give to your maybe first or even second time cruisers? Yeah, I, you know, I, I direct, um, a lot of my first time cruisers to, um, Scott Sanders blog, the Disney cruise line blog, um, just to be able to look through the different navigators that, that he has, because they can kind of plan their day at home before they go. Cause Disney doesn't change a whole lot. It's kind of, they're kind of a creature, a habit. So you kind of know what it's going to be like. So you might be able to see things that you want to do or questions, but, but really just kind of setting up your onboard activities as soon as you can get in is, is really important. So like, I know, uh, East coast people, you can't, you know, midnight, it's kind of hard sometimes for people with jobs and stuff to stay up. So really it's just important to get those activities, even, even if it is a late hour. Yeah. That's the only place where we are actually in ad- ad- advantaged because we're on the West coast. So it's only 9 PM for us. Everything <laughs> else we're at a disadvantage where Brian has to get up at like four in the morning. Disney world, Disney world's, uh, fast passes at 4 AM are just a joy. <laughs> <laughs> but when we're, but cruise line excursions are actually, we're, like I said, we're in, a, it's like an exciting way to end the day. Like, <laughs> there's a beer and I'm choosing cruise excursions. Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. What about, um, what about port arrival time, Michelle? I think lots of people sort of don't really understand port arrival time very well. Do you have any tips for your clients that you give out around the choosing their port arrival time and what that really means? Yeah, I always just advise them to pick the earliest one possible. Disney's really just trying to gauge what time you're going to come. If you get a, say, noon port arrival time, they're still going to let you in the terminal. So I would come as early as you can. Usually the terminal or the security part kind of opens around 1030, 1045 most mornings. I, I really advise clients to get you know, get there, get, get checked in so you can get your early boarding group and then get on the ship to start exploring. Cause I mean, you already paid for it. Um, so you should really come enjoy. I know some people don't like to stay, stand in line for that first part, but that line gets you on board a little faster. So I always advise getting there as early as you can. And any tips on early versus late late dining for folks. I know a lot of that sometimes is driven by whether they have little kids or not. Yeah, I we my family likes the early dining. We need our food to settle before we go to bed. That late dining, you're still eating late, like nine o'clock, 9.30. The good thing about the late dining though, is that the clubs will pick you, your kids up. So they'll, they'll hurry through your kids' food. Um, you know, they're usually done eating before the adults anyway. So they'll come and pick them up and pick them up to the club. And I think that's a really great service that the kids clubs do. Um, so if you can't get that early spot, because sometimes early early dining does book up, like we just booked our cruise for next summer, rebooked, you know, our cruise for, for next summer and uh, early dining was already taken. Um, I highly think that we will get on early dining because I did wait list it. And usually we, we do get what we wait list, but um, you know, if you don't get that early dining, the late dinner, at least there's that, that option for your kids as they start to get tired. Cause as you eat late, you seem to get tireder and tireder. And so I know the kids do too. Um, but we really like the, the activities between the early dining and the, the show. And I know when you have late dining, you can also do that same thing, but we just kind of like that order. So that our stomachs can settle before bed. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. We we really have a strong preference, Brian and I, when we're sailing without our son for late dining, but when we're sailing with our son for early dining, because the late dining is just too late for him. He's hungry. He wants popcorn at the show then, or and then he fills up on popcorn and is falling asleep and not eating at dinner. So yeah, we I mean we when we're just the two of us, we the late dining thing works nicely because we have this sort of routine of, you know, one, you don't feel hurried to end your day at the pool or in port. You can kind of come back on, get dressed for dinner, go see a show, have a a pre-dinner cocktail, (laughs) head to dinner. And then by the time dinner's over, all the adult activities are fully ramped up. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice when you're doing an adults only cruise at late dining, but for us, it's been a total disaster to try and do late dining, especially within our own time zone. Yeah. That's the one, the one time we got stuck with our son doing uh late dining was our, our cruise out of San Diego. It was a disaster. And it was, it was, a, it was one of the um, Halloween on the high seas cruises and the, the cruise was, was great, but the dining part was kind of a disaster as yeah. Brian said. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> one thing to note too, the like the Europe cruise, it's, they actually recommend you do late dining because lots of those tours get back after you've already started early dinner. So oh, for, for yeah. late, late dinner, the Europe Europe is a really good option. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of the the ports are kind of far away from the major cities where you're going to be touring, right? Yeah, absolutely. They are not near the coast. And they, they also stay in port later. So yeah, that's the other thing is you're, you can, you can be in, be off the ship much later. I wonder if it's the opposite in Alaska, actually, because I think the cruise, the, the ports, they dock early and a lot of the activities start early in the morning. So you'd want the early dining so you can get to bed in time to actually get up the next morning for <laughs> yeah, your port adventure. For sure. And so Michelle, we'll just touch on this briefly. We've, we've actually got a show coming up about Facebook groups specifically, but just curious, like how have you, do you steer clients towards the Facebook group? Do you use them yourself for the cruise? It's kind of a, I think a unique thing that Disney has that every sailing has kind of a Facebook group for the people who are sailing on it. Yeah, we've joined probably the last four or five Facebook groups. Doug's really active in them. I am not, but some people have, can have some pretty strong opinions and some in in uh inaccurate answers so um, i don't i don't believe you that disney fans have strong opinions about no there's just no way (laughs) and wrong and wrong answers too (laughs) my gosh (laughs) yeah so so i i usually there's a facebook meetup group too when you get on board or you know sometimes throughout your cruise i'm an introvert so doug usually does those as well so i'm not really partial to them but doug likes them for your clients, I mean, what do you talk, talk to them about fish extenders? Because hand in hand with sort of the Facebook group is as soon as you join one, you're going to start to see all the posts about join our fish extender group and our ornament exchange and all that sort of stuff. Do, do you guys participate in those? And and what do you tell clients about that process? Um, yeah, so fish extenders, I, I do recommend them to my clients because originally I didn't when I started to be a travel agent about seven years ago um, because they would get back from their cruise and be like, oh, all these people had these things hanging on their doors and they got all these cool things in them. And what was that? So I do recommend them to clients. I don't have very many of them that, that participate in them. I don't participate in it mainly because I don't usually have enough room in my suitcase to take home everything that people are going to leave me. So I'm a horrible packer, pack way too many things. So I don't do them, but I've seen some really, really really cool fish extender gifts, but also some also very um, not cool gifts as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so we've, we've booked the cruise, we've checked in, we've gotten all kinds of great information from our, from our Facebook group and hopefully not devolved into, to infighting and and disagreement within the Facebook group. We've signed up for fish extenders. We're, we're, we're headed to the airport. We're going to land in Orlando. Where do you recommend folks stay? It sounds like mostly they're headed to the theme park, but you know, do, do you have any recommendations on where folks should, should stay? 
Yeah, I have lots of people that do Disney World. So, you know, all throughout those resorts, people that want to stay close to the port. I like the Radisson at the port and also the Country Inn and Suites Port Canaveral. Those are kind of my go-to nearby hotels. They want to just be close to the cruise. They do have a shuttle. There is a charge, but you can sign up in advance and get get the shuttle. Yeah. And our, our favorite has been the, if we're only going on the cruise, we're not going to the parks. We, we've we stayed at the Hyatt at the airport, which has been kind of nice because they have an arrangement with the cruise line to take your luggage from your room to the, to the ship so you don't have to drag it. And then you can obviously catch the Magic Express direct from the airport. And the sort of tip that we learned there is if you can get on that first or second Magic Express heading from MCO to the port, you get into and past port security ahead of them opening the main gates to everyone else. So you can check in very, very quickly and efficiently, although you may end up sitting around for a little while if your boarding group is uh, is later. So that's one thing that we we have done personally. Let's see, get, get which, which leads me to getting to the port. And I think I phrased this at our show outline is uh, the question for you, Michelle, is sort of tragical express or magical express or some other method of transportation. What What's your tip for people to get to the port? So first of all, I can't call it those because magical express is free and this isn't free. So um, so, so we, we yeah. call it Disney Cruise Line Transportation um, in the travel agent world. Um, but we don't use it. Um, usually we use either a private car service to pick us up or we rent a car. Those are our two ways we get to and from the port. The reason why I don't like if I'm staying at Disney to get on the Disney transportation to get to the port. One, it's more expensive for a family of five than actually to take a private car service. And that way I can actually choose the time that I want it to pick me up personally. I'm not waiting on other people making other stops. And then also when I get there, I'm a pretty close to being alone. I don't have a whole bus of people that I'm fighting to get to through the port. So so that's our favorite. Our favorite is the private car service. Um, we've rented a car a few times um, on the shorter cruises and we just leave it at the port because I don't like to mess with dropping it off because you're going to have to drop it off and then get a ride to the port still because it's not like located at the port. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, but the private car service, it's just, it's fantastic. Super smooth. They're waiting for you at your hotel to get to the port. They're waiting for you at the port to get back to the airport. We've used it many times. Yeah, we we've we have two and we've liked that. The one thing we were going to try out the last time was a minivan. And then it was kind of a cluster because the minivan didn't show up. So No, that was to get us to the airport. From, oh, that from was the to the airport. That's right. Yeah, it was, so, yeah. yeah, but we were we were going to use a, a minivan. Minivans will take you to the port also, but we were going to take a minivan to the airport and then the minivan didn't show up. And Disney ended up paying for us to have like a private taxi transportation uh, to the airport because it was their screw up, not ours. But it was... Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was frustrating, but we, but we but the, really the love mini, minivans. The mini, I will just flag the mini. So we were going to take a minivan from the Riviera resort to the airport, which is not a very expensive transfer. It's, it's pricier than a taxi and obviously not free like the Magic Express. Minivan to and from Port Canaveral is actually quite expensive yeah. because the minivan is usually heading out to drop you off and they may not have anyone to pick up. Mm. And so you're, you're having to sort of pay sort of both okay. directions is built into the price. And so that can get, it can get really, really pricey. Yeah, so. I, I had, I guess my memory was off on that one, but yeah, yeah I, we love taking minivans around in we've Disney used, world. And so we've used private transportation. We've, we've, we've done had the a magic friend, express. A, we've done a yeah, friend, we've, we've a friend driving. Either. I mean, I think the other thing to consider when you're picking your transportation to the port is what you're doing on the back end of the cruise. Is, Cause I think Michelle, like you, you and Doug and your family, you'll get off the cruise and go right back to Disney World and you'll, you'll want to be there early enough for the parks to open. In some ways, you may only be able to do that if you've got a car waiting at the port and can do the sort of express walk-off, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we go back to the ports, um, we usually have a rental car because that way we'll need somewhere to to stuff our bags if we don't have a hotel because sometimes we'll fly home later in the day, but still have a day at the parks. Um, So we'll have to have somewhere to have our bags. The other option that we've done on the way back, if we haven't wanted to go to the parks is that the Hyatt at the airport will do day rooms and you can get access to like their, their pool and stuff like that. So you can have a place to throw your stuff for relatively cheap as I recall. It's like $89 or something when I booked it last time. And, but you can also use the pool and just kind of lounge around. So that's, that's also an cheaper than park tickets. Definitely cheaper than park tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Although of course it, it doesn't have like a splash mountain or anything like that. So <laughs> All right. So you've gotten there. Your 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 boarding group number has been called, Michelle. You guys are walking on the ship. What do, what's your plan of attack? We usually head for cabanas first. I think a lot of people do, but I know everyone has their kind of like favorite first thing they love to do on the on the ship. What's your what's your guys' plan of attack usually? Yeah, we're now that we're we're platinum, we're usually the first ones on, obviously. Um, and so actually I love to head to cabanas just to be in an empty buffet because I just can't handle all the people on a normal basis in cabanas. So that's the best place to head first. And then right after that, we go on, usually go to the aqueduct or aquadunk, um, just so the kids can have some pool time while there's not very many people on board. The first time Doug and I did a cruise, we did the the tour so that we just kind of knew the ship. I definitely recommend that for first timers because, I mean, we found our way around the ship very quickly and ships are big. They're not very, you know, they're just not, they're not as small as they look. They're much bigger. Um, so that, that tour can definitely help. Yeah, that's a good point. If you don't know where you're going, it's good to orient yourself. I do think to your point about cabanas, cabanas, if you're getting on, on an early boarding group, it's not it's not too crowded and it's a great time to go. But if you're in a later boarding group, cabanas can kind of be a madhouse. I have actually I actually think a, a good tip if you're getting on later and you don't like a crowded cabanas or crowded uh, seating areas, because that's what happens later in the afternoon that the sit-down lunch that's available usually in, in one of the rotating uh, restaurants is kind of a, a good option too. Yeah, we've done we've done that a few times. And that definitely is definitely better later in the in the day if you're getting on board a little bit later for sure. But if you don't have your you didn't get the activities booked in advance that you wanted, one of the things you should do when you first get on the ship is probably figure out where you need to go to get that adjusted, get your dining adjusted, get that power reservation. So your I step on the ship, what do I do first can be different if you if there's some piece of business you need to take care of with the cruise line as opposed to uh, if you've got everything kind of booked. Yeah, definitely get on and try to try to get what you didn't weren't able to get for online check in. Um, and then adjust to, you can adjust dining as well. So definitely that's something to do early when you get on the ship. Okay. What about, um, so we've gotten on the ship, we've done the aqueduct a little bit. What about kids clubs? What do you, what do you recommend folks do in terms of kids clubs as they sort of get on or, or how they engage with those? Yeah, it's always open house when you first get on. So it's going to be your chance as an adult to check out the kids club. So even if you don't have kids, I always recommend, you know, the adults walk through it in case they want to bring their kids on board sometime, but you can, you can get them checked in with the kids club, get their magic bands locked because I'll walk them for safety. Just get kind of get that out of the way because later in the day, that first day, there's going to be a line. So definitely go and get that done. The Oceaneers Club and the Oceaneers Lab um, is just going to be, it's a lot of kids, age groups three to 12. So you've got a lot of people, a lot of families dropping off there. But the, the kids clubs are just super, super cool. I love all the theming and all the activities that they do. Um, the kids club, uh, cast members are just amazing, just personable to all the kids. It's crazy how they can remember their names from, you know, day one to day two. And Disney really hires the best, in my opinion. Do your kids enjoy the kids club? How, how I forget how old they are. Um, right now they're 14, 12 and 10. So right now they all, even, even my 10 year old can go to um, Edge 
that's the the tween club. We just have to certify that she's going to be 11 pretty soon and they they let her in. And she had two siblings. So they did have a lot of fun in Edge last time. My youngest, who's 10 now, loved the Oceaners Club when she was little. She's kind of grown out of it now that she's 10 and the youngest of all my kids. My oldest got to go to Vibe this last time. She didn't actually go, but she did get the key because you get a special key when you go to Vibe. You turn in your key to the world and they give you a black one that's pretty cool. Um, Ooh, fancy. Definitely cool to check out the space, but she's definitely not. She didn't think she was old enough to be with hanging with that crowd. Yeah. When the other thing is uh, the open house, the tip we've learned is that if you can get your kid into the open house, sometimes they can make friends almost immediately, which sort of, I think, like for our son, he, he he's a little challenged in terms of making friends when there's just a huge group of massive yeah, kids. it's just overwhelming. And so if you've got somebody you know and you've already sort of met and made friends with, it's a good time to sort of do that in a smaller kind of targeted setting with your parents there, that sort of thing. Right, a little they, less chaotic. Once they make friends, they seem to like the clubs. That's, I'll say the stumbling block for our son the first time was he didn't really have a friend in the club and so he really wasn't enjoying it and then he kind of made a friend and he seemed to enjoy it more and so those open houses can be a good time for them to meet the kiddos before it turns into to uh, kind of a, a just a mass of kids. So yeah, good point. Yeah. And the hand washing stations. They're, they're, they're magical. They're one of the most magical things aboard that ship is the hand washing stations. Yeah. We keep talking and hoping that they'll put those hand washing stations like in cabanas or or at the other uh, rotational dining restaurants right before you walk in. Like, we actually think that for cleanliness, like that would be that's the trick. That's the key. It would, yeah. With the UV light and everything. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, dear Disney, make those for my home. You can have them play Disney branded music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will take one in my house with Disney advertisements. I don't care. Um, what about family versus adult areas on the on the ship, Michelle? And and sort of you know, do you have favorites in there? How do you how do you sort of talk your clients through kind of the different areas of the ship that they might want to experience in terms of both the I guess the areas and the activities? I really like on the fantasy. I like the European feel to the adult only area. I like the tube. I really like it when the variety acts do adult only shows in the tube and like the late night snacks, the piano playing. Just all the the sports bar. I like I like all that that adult only area. You know that that becomes adult only later in the in the night. I'm not a big pool person, so Satellite Falls doesn't really do anything for me. Or just the adult only pool area. That part doesn't. But it's really peaceful. So if people really want to get away from kids and and you know relax, that's definitely the way to go for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. People talk about sort of the magic that Disney can do on the ships in terms of the theming and the music and all of that sort of stuff. But I think one of the most interesting things that they actually do is you are on a ship. A lot of times it is packed with kids. There's lots of kids and families there. But if you head into one of these adult areas, it's like it's not present. Right. I mean, like Cove except, Cafe, Satellite Falls, like it, it's except for the adults only pool, the adults only pool. There's a lot of kids and families walking through, which they're allowed to is. do. And it, yeah. yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, it's the way it's located on on the ships. It, it kind of you kind of have to walk through, especially if your room is at that end of the ship. But you're not hearing what, I, what I'm sort of getting at is you're, what you're not hearing is literally that pool is right next door to the main family pool and the funnel vision. True. I'm not listening to a movie and a bunch of kids screaming. By the time I get into the adult area, it's like, Everything like I don't know if they're like directing noise dampening, like yeah, I think devices, the, but it, like it is like it is like uh, I'm on a different ship right now, and yeah. if I walk past that little glass barrier over there, I'm it's like there's a kids party going on. Yeah, so they've definitely designed the the. I don't know what it is about the acoustics. They've designed it well, so you don't feel like you're hearing all the noise from the the kids' pool. You're mm -hmm. right. And what about the family activities, Michelle? You guys have any favorites when you're on on the on the ship? 
Yeah, we, my family's always enjoyed the the programming in the D-Lounge. So like family, like games, like how well do you think you know your family? That's one of our favorites. My son and I got to do it once and that's been a favorite for us. And just, uh, I think my daughter's done karaoke. That was strange and not pleasant, but it was, it was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we really like the variety acts too. So if they're doing like a family show, like I said earlier, I really like the hour between early dinner and the late show that's Mm -hmm. usually full of family activity. So we usually try to hit that somewhere. We also, well, I do, I like meeting characters. So that's one of the family activities I make my family do. (laughs) But we, we play it. We play a lot of trivia on board as well. Yeah, those are fun. I think the D lounge activities are really great. We liked the, they did a minute to win it type of a game show where you, you know, are doing, you have to sort of do something in a a time to like throwing, you know, ping pong balls into like solo cups and things like that. Like, um, and that was a really fun family activity that we did with our, with our son. What what about the, um, the spa, the rainforest room, Michelle, any, do you guys enjoy using those or anything you tell your clients about those? Uh, I have a lot of people that love the spa. I've tried it once. I'm not a spa person. So, you know, that's one thing that you can book in advance too for online check-in. But when you get on board, um, if you go tour the spa, usually for the open house, they'll have some specials and things. So sometimes I kind of just tell my clients just to wait and get it, you know, at a better price or, um, you know, get the special of the day, whatever they're doing there. Uh, But the tours of the spa are really great because they, you know, you might not know you needed this kind of massage or you might not know you needed this kind of treatment. The smells of the rainforest room are just are amazing. I'm not, I did, like I said, I didn't do it because I'm not a spa person, but the rainforest pass was always good. Did I hear that went away though? Uh, so for, they took it off, like you could pre-buy it online for a while, but you can still get it on the ship. And I think they actually put it back up on online, but they were okay. kind of limiting the numbers, which is, I will say, I like the rainforest room. I have bought the entire cruise pass before. I think that is not the way to, to go because it starts to feel like, oh, geez, okay, I need to go to the rainforest room today to get my money out of this this pass. I think it is a good idea to buy a pass for a day or two. Like if you're on like a seven night sailing, I think two days of rainforest room pass is a great thing to have. Like on a three or four night, probably one is totally sufficient. I hate um, the rainforest. Yeah, Sam doesn't like it. I, I really like it, but I, I will. I, I love the spa, but I hate the rainforest. I, I will say they need to start limiting the number of people that are going in because by like the afternoon, if you go in, it's like kind of a mess and no one's been in there to clean it up. And you're just kind of like, this doesn't feel like the serene fun place I wanted it to be anymore. So, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, we, yeah. Uh, the tip around uh, discounts at the spa is a good one though, because if you pre-book your spa treatments, you're getting no discount. If you wait until you show up on the ship and you go and you book on day one, they usually have some sort of like do three treatments and we'll give you 10%, 20%, 30% off. Like, you know, each of the, like you'll get 10% off the first one, 20% off the second one. Like they'll have some special like that. And we actually have a friend who when he sails, he just waits and looks at like whatever the navigator says is the, the, the spa treatment of the day, which is usually heavily discounted. And he's like, okay, well today I'm going to go do blah, you know, like, yeah. so or, yeah. or go or going on port days, they tend to have port days specials because yeah. on the the sea days, it's it is harder to book. So if you're if you're set on doing, I think a spa treatment on a sea day, pre booking might be the only way you're going to get your treatment if you don't go early on the first day to book. But if you are you know looking, if you're okay with staying on the ship on a port day, or you're going to only spend half the day off at port, then um, the port days you can you can tend to get some specials as well. 
Yeah, that's another good, that's a good segue into let's talk ports for a second, Michelle, what tips do you give your clients in terms of picking port adventures? Because you can you can book through Disney, you can book your book your own, you can stay on the ship. That is a that is a version of a port adventure in my mind is just saying I'm not going to get off the ship today. I'm going to use the amenities on the ship. What kind of tips and considerations do you give your clients to think through the choices they have? Okay, so port adventures Disney Cruise Line's port adventures are very expensive. When I say that, it's kind of because, you know, Disney's controlling it. Disney provides you a meeting place on board so you don't have to worry about getting off and finding your meeting place. They they put you together. They tell you all the safety reminders and everything. They take really good care of you. They have contracted with an outside company to do it for you. They will bring you back to the ship. And if guess what? If they aren't back to the ship, they're not going to leave. You have a Disney port adventure. So I, I do usually tell people do book with Disney. If the price is too high, I do have another outside company I like to use called Shore Trips. We have also just toured islands on our own. Like Grand Cayman was easy to tour on our own. Nassau, easy to tour on your own. Bermuda, we did one day where we just toured on our own. I think it's good if you have like a seven day, um, maybe do a mix of of the different port adventures. One, maybe book with Disney or two, book with Disney. You know, one, do a day where you're free. Kids can sometimes be very, it's very hard for kids to stay on the Disney schedule the whole time. So sometimes having an off day, just walking around the town um, at one of the islands is always good. Yeah. And like I said, we also sometimes just like to pick a, pick a day to stay on the ship. If we've been to the port, you know, several times and we feel like we've seen what we've seen. And I think we have, we have now, like if we sail the was it Eastern Caribbean, we know where we want to head in terms of a beach. It's some of the ports. And so rather than book the Disney excursion, which is really just an expensive taxi with like a, maybe a photo opportunity stop. Like, I think we'd be much more willing to just say, I know where we're going. I know when we get there, there's a place where we can get a taxi, hop in a cab, head over to this beach. Cause we can spend the amount of time we want to spend and get back to the ship usually. So yeah. But for like a new port, I don't think I would feel comfortable no, yeah. going to a new, you know, a new port. And I probably wouldn't even feel comfortable booking an outside vendor for, for a shore excursion. I feel like for a new port, I mean, a new, new to us, not new for Disney, but Newport to us, I would probably stick with booking Disney just from my own comfort level. I think to your point, I, I, I'm always worried the ship is going to like leave without us. And I, that to me, that would be like, you know, that would devastate me ruin the vacation. Although sometimes you can kind of figure out who Disney's vendor is. Yes. And if you can do that. And book direct. You're going to be sitting next to the same people from your ship and have paid half the cost of it. So, yeah. Yes, we have done that with shore trips. Exactly. We did a float plane in Ketchikan. We cut our cost in, oh, I was almost in half. It was pretty crazy. But people from our ship were sitting, you know, right next to us uh, getting ready to get on another uh, plane. So it's a very good point, you know, finding the the vendor that they're using and definitely booking directly with them because it would be cheaper. You're cutting out that middleman. Yeah. And to to that point, working with somebody like you is gives you that benefit. Be, instead of us doing the research on our own, which might be a little bit more difficult, you have that inside insight from, yeah. from having booked uh, many, many more trips than we've booked for ourselves, obviously. Yeah. Let's talk about the port of ports. Castaway Key. Michelle, what are you guiding your you know clients through in terms of, especially if it's their first time to Castaway Key, what are the things they shouldn't miss, the tips they need to know? Um, you know, getting off the ship early, just getting, getting a, there's lots of lawn chairs, but if you want one, you know, close to the ocean, it's, it's good to, to get off early. We prefer the the seats further over towards like Pelican Bay, Pelican Plunge, because you're kind of missing a lot of the crowd. Some people just get off the ship, find the first chair they find and plop their stuff down. But we prefer to go further closer to the cabana beach. There's just a really a rope that s- separates the cabana beach and you. So we kind of like to be over there. Lots of people like to rent bikes, kind of ride around on the airstrip. Lots of people like to get the floats. I'm nervous the floats are just going to float out to sea. So, uh, 
I've never done that. <laughs> but, you know, Pelican Plunge, it's it's awesome because it's free. <laughs> There's no extra charge, you know, to go down water slides, you know, at this private island. So that's definitely one thing not to miss. We've never done and We've done some snorkeling, snorkeling at Castaway, Stingrays, but never, we've never done any jet skis or anything more. We kind of treat it more like a beach day, like a, a better beach day than if you were just at a port just because it's private for Castaway. Yeah, I did parasailing, which, you know, the, the one thing I would say about the Castaway Key port adventures that aren't sort of on the island, like parasailing, fishing, they seem to get canceled a lot due to sort of wind or, you know, choppy water, that sort of thing. So I think I signed up for parasailing four or five times, and it took me four or five times to actually get to do the port adventure, but it was super fun. I mean, if you've been to Castaway Key a couple of times, it can be fun to do one of those things, but it does eat into your day because you're not at Castaway Key for a long time. You're you're docked in the morning, usually get off around, I think it's like eight when we've been on the fantasy, maybe even nine, and you're back sailing away at four. And so you, if you do a port adventure, you're taking a saving chunk out of your day at Castaway Key. What about, so, so you've, you've experienced cabanas. When is a cabana a good a good thing to consider, I guess, is the question. If you can get one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think a cabana is always a good thing to get no matter what. I don't even care about the price anymore because I, I just enjoyed having your own like private place to relax. I don't necessarily like people all that much. So being able to just <laughs> get away from people, my introvertness, the, you know, the drinks and the, the snacks they provide you are good. I just, I really liked having like the stationary thing that wasn't full of sand to be able to change and you got floats with it too. So I guess we did have floats one time. The hammock, my kids enjoyed the hammock just kind of relax but yeah i'm always pro pro uh, cabana there they're they're hard to get they are hard to get if you're concierge you have a really good chance of getting one although still not guaranteed if everyone on the ship who's concierge wants one if you're platinum you'll get what's left from concierge if you're gold you'll get what's left from platinum which is usually nothing and then from there on it's really get on the ship and get your name on a wait list and you may get a phone call <laughs> kind yeah. of thing so yeah well I, I did want to spend a few minutes michelle talking to you about so you've sailed on other cruise lines we've sailed on celebrity a few times although it's been a long time ago now that we were on celebrity where do you think disney fits in in terms of the other cruise lines are they comparable to celebrity i know a lot of people draw the comparison between them and like uh you know a carnival or norwegian or the the unofficial guide folks actually compare DCL to to Royal Caribbean. Right, yeah. Interesting right. interested to hear what you think. Yeah, it's so so hard because after cruising different cruise lines, I've noticed that nothing compares to Disney Cruise Line. Like there's just not even it's not even close. But if I were to have to make a comparison, I would say Norwegian and Royal are pretty dead even with me. The amount of activities they have on for families on board is actually more than Disney Cruise Line. Although Norwegian charges you per thing. So like they have go-karts, they have laser tag. They're going to charge you for each time you use those things. Um, where Disney is not going to charge you for like the Aquadunk. So or Aqueduct. So the family activities, Royal Caribbean is going to have the rock climbing wall. They're going to have ice skating at sea, um, surfing, things like that to keep families interested and 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 excited. So that's why I think Norwegian and Royal are probably the best comparison for Disney. Celebrity, on the other hand, is just it's just not family oriented. They're more adult oriented. There's not a whole lot of kids. They do have kids clubs, but not nothing like Norwegian or Royal. So so that's why I say Norwegian and Royal. You sort of said nothing compares to Disney. And I'm wondering what are the things that are pushing in your mind Disney over the edge? Yeah, Disney is excelling in um, the service. Definitely. They are hands down. The service from the servers, from just people around the whole ship is always been better than the other cruise lines I've sailed. The dining room and the main dining, the rotational dining, that is like the amazing 
eating concept that other cruise lines really need to just kind of somehow mask because um, eating in the same state room or same dining room for their main dining rooms every night is just kind of like blah. Disney Cruise Line has that going on. Also, their stage shows are all family friendly for Disney. Royal Caribbean and Norwegian have ones that aren't necessarily ones I would want to take my kid to. So just the more overall free, not free because you're paying, but also uh, things that are included on Disney mm-hmm. definitely are are just more higher end than Norwegian and Royal, in my opinion. What would you say to sort of the, the cruiser who says, well, I like Royal or Norwegian because they've got like 20 different restaurants I can eat on and, you know, uh, eat at it any, any given day for dinner. But Disney's only got these three rotational dinings and then they've only got, you know, two adults only restaurants. Yeah, I would say that Overall, still, the food quality that you're getting with Disney is way better. They vary their menus, even though you're going to be in these three dining rooms, maybe multiple times on a seven night cruise. The menu changes each time. So you're not going to get the exact same menu every time. Where on Royal and Norwegian, if you go back to the same dining room, you may possibly get the exact menu. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, we haven't. So I have not cruised and I don't think Brian's cruised Royal or Norwegian. I'm curious with those for those specialty restaurants. Like I know like there's even like Johnny Rockets, right? On some of these ships. Yeah, and Royal. They, yeah. Yeah. Do you have to do you have to pay to eat at those places or is that included if you ate, let's say, your dinner there one night? No, it's it's an extra fee no matter what when you eat there. Breakfast actually is included for Johnny Rockets, but lunch and dinner are going to be extra. So even if you just want to shake from Johnny Rockets, it's going to be extra. Sabor, the Mexican restaurant on some of the ships, also there's an extra charge as well. So even like this modified quick service that Norwegian and Royal have is going to cost you where Disney is not going to charge you for your lunch unless you're eating at Polo. It's an interesting point because I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, Disney's so expensive. But when you start to add in all the little things you want to do and the way they're charging you, I'm, I'm confident that in at least some cases, the nickel and diming would get you to the price of a Disney cruise. Or close. Or close, right? And so then it's then it's sort of like, well, what level of service do you want? I, I do feel like every experience we've had with Disney is they're going to make it right. They're going to they're gonna make it right and take care of you. And I don't know if that's always the case with some of the, the other cruise lines. To be fair, I think we had excellent service and excellent food when we sailed on Celeste. Celebrity. But that was many years ago. It was before we, we had also, a kid. And we were also eating at the specialty restaurant almost every night we and, and we, paying the upcharge for it. That's so. true. We were with Brian's parents and they are um, really into fine dining. And, and we were not, none of us were really enamored with the main dining room. And so we, we ate at the, they had one, only one specialty restaurant, but it was similar to like a kind of an in-between Paulo and Remy and level of sort of fanciness. And, um, but it was an upcharge to eat there. Yeah, which makes you think, Michelle, we didn't ask you about Paolo and Remy. I meant to ask you about that earlier. Have you, uh, do, do you have any tips for folks? Yeah, I think, you know, first time cruisers might not need to eat there, but definitely, you know, second or third time to look into it. Definitely, it's more of an intimate experience than, than the main dining room with, you know, all these people. The servers are still amazing. We've had actually some of, one of our servers from one of our previous cruises then was on our Paolo brunch for our anniversary in Alaska. So that was kind of cool that we could, they, they had moved up to the Paolo and the Remy ranks. But I don't know that everybody needs to do it. We don't do it every cruise. We were going to do it this next cruise because we're platinum and we get a free meal up there. So, but normally I don't recommend it for first time cruisers unless maybe you have like a special occasion and you knew, you know, your kids will be okay eating in the kids club or eating at, uh, on the pool deck before you go to dinner. Well, Michelle, we've, I think we've covered through most of the interview topics. Is is there anything that we missed that you, you, you know, a tip or trick that uh, we didn't touch on that you always want to make sure your clients know about? You know, maybe just to book far in advance, you know, you get absolutely the best prices and best selection of the rooms. Um, some of the room categories are kind of, you know, 
know, unique where there's not very many on board. Like I tried to get balcony in the aft part of the ship, two balconies, and they're already sold out for next summer for connecting balconies. So that's just something that you should keep in mind, you know, plan early so that you can get the most for your money and the best locations on the ship. Well, let's move to rapid fire, which is Sam's favorite part of the show. So I'm going to hand it over to Sam to do our rapid fire round with you, Michelle. And these are just your personal favorites. So Sam, you want to take it away? Absolutely. Okay. So the, the first set of questions are just sort of general Disney, and then we move to DCL specific. So the first three, so favorite Disney character? I would say Pluto. I've had Plutos and collected them all my life. So Pluto has always been my go-to character. Oh, fun. That's our son's favorite Disney character is also Pluto. I would say his favorite Pixar character is probably Wally, but he loves Pluto. What is your favorite Disney movie? Uh, Tangled is my favorite Disney movie. The song, the music, the characters, it's just my favorite. Yeah, that is an excellent one. Favorite Disney song? Um, Happily Ever After. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was able to see Jordan Fisher sing it when he sang it at Magic Kingdom when they first released uh, Happily Ever After. So it's always going to be my favorite. Oh, that's amazing. What a cool experience. Okay, your favorite Disney Cruise Line ship? I have to say the Fantasy. Yeah, I like the adult-only area. I like just, I like the bigger ships, but uh, the Fantasy is my definite favorite. Favorite DCL port? Bermuda. I love, I just loved the the water, the people. I loved being in port overnight. That was one of my favorite things. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that one stayed overnight. That's awesome. Okay, your favorite rotational dining restaurant. So this could be on any of the four ships. Tiana's for sure. I, I you know, I love Rapunzel and, and everything. And I really thought I'd like that more. But the music and the ambience of Tiana's is just amazing, hands down. Favorite onboard food? Hmm, so much good food. Um, (laughs) I would say the chicken Parmesan at the Palo brunch, probably. Yeah, that one is excellent. That's probably, that's one of my favorites, I would say, but it's, it's definitely at the top. Oh, I got to put lasagna over the chicken parm. I know, Brian, right? we always get <laughs> what Doug we, says. Yeah. <laughs> we, we always get, the, I always order the chicken parm and Brian always orders the lasagna and then we like, we go half yeah, and half. Right. So, but yeah, those are, those are some of the best. Okay. Favorite onboard drink. You know, I'm not a big like drinker. I'm a pretty Came person. I <laughs> I love margaritas, so it would just have to be a regular margarita. I've tried like some fancy ones and I just can't. I just, I'm a plain Jane type of person. So just a regular margarita. Okay. Favorite part of the ship. I like like the piano bar area. So like keys and like the magic wonder or the lounge in between all the bars. Carousel, the carousel lounge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. I love that one. Yeah. That, that's probably my favorite. Okay, favorite onboard activity? Trivia for sure. Now, have you won a medal? We do. We've we didn't we didn't win in January and that almost killed the kids, but we've won <laughs> at least once on every cruise. So oh, awesome. Favorite DCL stage show. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Tangled. That was definitely, yeah, definitely tangled. It's a hard pick though. Beauty and the Beast is good. Frozen. I don't like the um, the Golden Mickeys. That's like not my thing. I don't mm-hmm. like that at all. But yeah, tangled for sure. Okay, so favorite itinerary. I think you may have already answered this with the Bermuda question. Yeah, I would definitely say Bermuda for sure. I'd, second would be Alaska, but I, Bermuda is so much better. Yeah. Okay, you're bucket list cruise. Oh, that's a toss up. I think Hawaii. That's what I, yeah, I think Hawaii would be it. I have not been to Hawaii. Alani is on our list for this year as a family vacation. I don't know if it's going to happen in December, but it's on our list. But cruising to Hawaii, I think would be great to visit the, the island. Michelle, it's been great having you on and really appreciate it. How can folks find you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm on Facebook. So it's just facebook.com and then a backslash rope drop queen. It's easy to remember. And then I also have an email address, michelle.mcknight at mei-travel.com. Great. Well, we'll 
leave all that in the show notes too. So folks can, can track you down. We've super appreciated all the help you've given us over the last uh, year or so with our travel planning. And so I uh, highly recommend your services. So thanks yeah. for coming on, Michelle. And we it's special thanks to the Rope Drop Radio folks. We know obviously you are affiliated with them and uh, are kind of the travel agent extraordinaire that appears on their show regularly. And so special thanks to Rope Drop Radio. Well, thanks very much for having me on. I had fun. It was a lot of fun having Michelle on the show this evening and hearing all of her tips and tricks for planning a successful Disney Cruise Line adventure for you and your family. Michelle's just got a lot of knowledge and she's been really fun for us to work with as a travel agent over the last year or so. If you want more of her tips and tricks, you can head over to Rope Drop Radio. It's a great podcast hosted by Derek and Doug, focuses on all things Walt Disney World. They're great hosts, have a lot of fun content, and Michelle's a regular over there on their podcast. So head over there and check them out. Just a reminder, this show's coming out on Thursday before Memorial Day weekend and so that means it's the last show before the quarantine key 5k you've been hearing us talk about got a special bonus episode a few episodes back that goes into more detail on how you can participate but just real fast we're hoping that folks will get out and participate in the quarantine key 5k by running walking crawling 5k over the course of the weekend you can do it all at once you can do it over a course of days do it outside do it on a treadmill do it by running laps between your living room and your refrigerator we don't care just do it safely have fun no need to sign up for it. All you have to do to really participate is take a photo of yourself participating or after you've finished or whenever it is, post it up on social media. If you post it to our Facebook page or post it to Twitter and Instagram and tag us, and then also use the hashtag QuarantineKey5K, quarantine spelled with a C, you'll be entered to win a fabulous Disney prize and some DCL Duo swag to be announced. We'll announce the winners on our next episode. So next week after the Memorial Day weekend, we're really looking forward to seeing all those pictures and posts. We're co-sponsoring the race along with a bunch of other great Disney podcasts and vlogs, including the DCL podcast, Rope Drop Radio, Podcast Stardust, Disney Deciphered, and the Mouse Gen vlog. So be sure to check out their content. Some of them are also doing some giveaways, so feel free to tag them in your posts as well. We're also selling some t-shirts for the event. Um, At this point, if you order a shirt, it's really unlikely. Well, it's all but guaranteed guaranteed it will not reach you by the time of the event, but it would make a great souvenir and all of the profits off the t-shirt sales are being donated to Give Kids the World. And our podcast is matching up to $500 of those profits. So your giving there will get you a great souvenir and we'll match those donations to make a good donation to Give Kids the World. So head over to dclduo.com if you want to buy one of those t-shirts. Also, just wanted to remind folks that we're doing a bit of a giveaway this month in honor of Seth Kaberski being on the show last week from the Unofficial Guides. We're giving a copy of the unofficial guide away to a lucky listener. All you have to do to be entered to win a copy of the unofficial guide is head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts and uh, that'll get you entered to win. We'll take reviews up through the end of this month, so May 31st. Any reviews left before then will get entered to win a copy of the unofficial guide. I also want to make sure to read one of our five-star reviews on air this week. This review comes from Christina from Mass who writes, great podcast. It's great to see a new Disney podcast. They have had some really unique episodes, not just Disney news repeated. Well, thanks, Christina from Mass. Uh, we're trying to generate some unique content even 
while the parks are closed. We may have picked one of the worst times in the world to start a podcast, but we're still having fun with it. And we're glad that you're listening and having fun with it too. With that, we just want to thank folks again for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also leave us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are helpful in making the podcast more visible to those who might be looking for us. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent, or you can reach out to Michelle. We'll leave her information in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night. Thank you.